Welcome back to Life Through Archibald Ball. Uh, today's episode, talking with my good sweet mate, a good guy, good friend, Joseph Barbour, and we are going to talk about economic theory in the 20th century, and in particular, like what the U.S. has done, U.S. government, and where do we go from here? And when we look at the 21st century and 20, you know, future centuries, like what's the best strategy here? Um, and with with that being said, I think something that we kind of talked about earlier was how in the early 20th century, there really wasn't an economic model that the U.S. had. I mean, we were coming out of the Gilded Age. There was nothing really happening. I mean, Calvin Coolidge did have a lot of tax cuts. He was very pro-business. And we did have the Roaring Twenties, which were great. But as a result of the Roaring Twenties, you bring on the Great Depression. And then from there, you get FDR's Keynesian economic model. And uh, I think something that Joseph would wanted to talk about was like more business cycle theory. So I'm going to hand it off to him here to kind of discuss that and just the implications of what that is and, and why the U.S. did it or what the U.S. can do. Sure. So when it comes to the Great Depression in particular, <clears throat> sorry, I think that the best thing to compare it to would be the uh, Depression of 1920 from nine years prior, uh, which is one that <clears throat> which is one that people don't know about. Um, because it simply lasted for such a short period of time, but the conditions surrounding it were very similar. Uh, it was a case of a uh, very hard economic crash like the stock market crash of 1929. It was actually more severe than 1929, and it recovered by the next year um, in 1921. And the policy that the Harding administration had employed during this was vastly different from what we saw with Hoover, right? Harding was actually laissez-faire at least relatively speaking. Um, he basically did nothing and the economy recovered. Um, in 1929, Hoover is often portrayed as being a laissez-faire president. Um, this is not true for a number of reasons, uh, whether it be the Smoot-Hawley tariff or him attempting to fi fix uh, wages and prices. There's a lot of things that Hoover did that not only were not laissez-faire, but were actually by people in the Roosevelt administration's own admission, something of an inspiration for the Roosevelt administration. Yeah. Like Franklin Roosevelt, when he ran against Hoover, actually did so as a free market candidate, right? Which um, knowing what we know about his administration now would seem insane. So I think that, um, and we can go into the theory behind it, but I think that just based on um, that like overview of the history, it seems to me to at least be worth considering that um, the government has only really prolonged uh, economic downturns mm -hmm. and arguably caused them. So there's like fundamentally like a conflict uh, when it comes to the business schools, um, sorry, the uh, economic schools and how they analyze business cycles. Mm -hmm. um, so the Keynesian, the Keynesian theory in so many words in simple terms would be that uh, market failures are a natural result of speculation mm -hmm. um, and that uh, they can spiral downwards and out of control due to stickiness, especially when it comes to wage stickiness um, yeah. for a number of reasons, whether it be um, contractual obligations, morale, et cetera. It's much easier to lay people off most of the time when you're faced with like a decrease in demand for your company than it is to simply lower their wages. Yeah. So this can result in mass unemployment when in reality, the market in theory would naturally adjust. And I think this is an insight from the Keynesian school that I think is really valuable, but it has problems. I don't think it paints a complete picture. 
I think the the Keynesian analysis of the situation um, where there's a shock to aggregate demand, which can cause uh, th um, through the process of stickiness things to spiral out of control, is part of the picture of what's going on when an ac economic downturn happens. I don't think its prescription is good, though. Um, and that's uh, me speaking from more of an Austrian perspective. Well, I wouldn't consider myself to be uh, an Austrian in the economic sense. I do find a lot of value in that school. So the, the Austrian theory would be essentially um, recessions are better viewed as hangovers. Mm -hmm. right? that, um, well, that's where the, uh, the hurt is happening. It's not where the actual economic damage is being done. There is an analogy that Ludwig von Mises gave um, where he describes it as if you make a builder think that he has 150 bricks to build a house, but in fact he only has 50, then when he inevitably does not complete the house, um, there's going to be an economic downturn in regards to the project on that house. But when the but the actual damage was done when you told him that he had 150 bricks. And the Austrians apply this to the interest rate. They say well, that when you artificially lower the interest rate by using quantitative easing or take inflationary measures like that, then it essentially distorts um, distorts what resources are actually available to take on long-term projects in the economy. Yeah. I think this offers a better explanation consistently of why downturns happen than the Keynesian model. Although I don't think in terms of the way that downturns can spiral out of control that the Keynesian model is useless. I actually think it, um, I, I think the Austrians could learn a lot from incorporating some of it into into their work. Yeah, no, and, and I think something else that we were kind of hinting at, like when you were mentioning the Austrian school of thought, it's more of a, I guess, when you look at like the COVID-19 pandemic, um, if we were to use Harding's approach, we would just be like, all right, the economy itself will recover. And I guess the evidence was that was more in the stock market than it was with the actual economy and with jobs. Because if we saw the actual true market was rising naturally over time, like if we look at it, it was from May 2020 to, or sorry, March 2020 to May 2020. By July 2020, if you look at the stock market alone, again, just the market alone, you're seeing that the economy was recovering. And I, I think to kind of piggyback off of that, imagine if Hoover didn't establish like the RFC or all of those measures. Like, again, Roosevelt won by a landslide because he was running against Hoover, not because he was great. So if, if we think of it that from that perspective alone politically, it's the person who is better at marketing themselves, right? And yeah. Roosevelt obviously did a great job doing that. And the Keynesian school of thought, while it does have its flaws, like Joseph mentioned, it is still, uh, in a way, because it was revolutionary in a way at the time for Americans, that's what led to FDR getting a landslide. But in, in reality, that theory is kind of, it's kind of interesting because it's like, is the government's job to spend more? No, I think the government's job is to promote the market, right? Um, but there's also like this issue of like the market doing a bit too much. And there's also an issue of the government doing a bit too much. And I think, jo Joseph, you can see this, like we look at our, our history as a country, we look at everything that you were saying, basically Austrian versus Keynesian. If we look at the 1980s, for example, it was not by no means Austrian, but it was just like government bye bye. Like, let's just, hey, government, let's put you to the side. Then we look at the 90s and it's more of a continuation of the 80s. And then in the 2000s, pre-Obama was very more focused on like the war on terror. There wasn't really much of an economic focus in the early 2000s. And now in the 2020s, we really don't have any economic focus as a country. 
we're so yeah. focused on these domestic issues and yeah, the pandemic is real, but what have we done in reality to really stop the pandemic? Like we've given out stimulus, but I think for better or worse, we are letting the market kind of dictate what is up and like, I guess, how we can recover as a country, which is, I guess, in a way, like what you mentioned in 1920. I don't necessarily think that's what we're doing with the pandemic right now. And I also wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily agree that the economic downturn we find ourselves in right now is because of the pandemic. It is. Um, but I think it, more precisely, it's because of the governmental response to the pandemic. Mm. I think that a lot of measures which have been taken, such as lockdowns, and speaking on a global level too, not just uh, yeah, regret- not in the U.S. Yeah, um, like with lockdowns, right? The U.N. has estimated that like more than a hundred million people are now at risk of starvation because of governmental measures. Um, in in the U.S., we can uh, see inflation spiraling out of control. Um, we can see that price controls are being considered very heavily, and a and stimulus is not really going to solve this issue, um, which I think is ultimately like the flaw with the Keynesian idea is even if um, I don't necessarily agree with um, the Austrians that well Keynesians are entirely full of shit when they talk about why markets crash, yeah. because they're not like they have good very good points to make. I do think that Keynesians are almost entirely full of shit when it comes to how to fix a crash. Yeah, like historically, the um, um, the crashes in the U.S. that have been recovered from the most easily are ones in which nothing was done. So those would be ones like 1819 and 1920. Whereas in 1929 and to a lesser extent 2008, because because we did see some recovery, but it was extremely slow. Mm-hmm. Right, it tends to be a very like long-lasting like economic uh, recession or depression. Um, which I think is because uh, government policy tends to exacerbate it. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, the issue that we've run into since the 1980s really is like, is government your friend or is government not your friend? I guess like, and I feel like a lot of public officials take that to heart. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why don't we, I think a big thing that we all struggle with as a society, especially I think our generation in particular, is it's best if we leave our heart to the side and we go all in with our head, right? And I think when it comes to, well, well, I think we both are on the same page here when it comes to economic thought and when it comes to economic policy in particular, let's like see what we think is best, right? Let's like, let's think, let's use our thoughts, let's use our mind, let's kind of foresee what we're going to do. Let's visualize what we can do or like, let's see what happens if we don't get involved, for example. Like, yes, someone is hurting, but maybe the best case scenario in this case is maybe to send sympathy, but not to actually do the action because nine times out of 10, the action doesn't really lead to the ideal result. And again, this is from an economic standpoint. This is obviously for other things and other issues like social issues. Yeah, you need to be involved, but economics, I think it's something that you leave up to the people. Yeah, um, I think that people, especially on the left in America, are very good at being skeptical of the actions or both, both in terms of their intentions and their actual capability. Mm-hmm. of um, large companies and corporations. Yeah. Like they're rightfully extremely skeptical of them. And rather than saying, oh, yeah. well, and rather than saying, well, I believe companies should do this. They say, well, companies won't do this. Um, we can predict that they'll behave in certain ways that I might not like. Mm-hmm. The problem is if the, you then say, well, I need to use the government to make them behave in that way. Right. That pushes the problem back a step because the government's the biggest corporation. Right. Yeah. Um, 
people often be skeptical about everything but the government, you know? Yeah. No, I, and I, I agree with that. It's like, in a way, like, I think with large corporations, the thing that we should all be cautious of is like privacy, for example. Like, I think we should be cautious of like the fact that, hey, look, like Apple, for example, was just hacked by a group of Russian, like, I think a Russian amateur hackers or something. So it's like, if amateur hackers from Russia can, you know, infiltrate Apple's security network, I mean, that's, that speaks volumes, right? So it's like, I think that's something we should all be concerned about is like, how is our privacy? Is our privacy being compromised, right? Because at the end of the day, it's like from an individual perspective and just from a collective perspective as well, it's like you want to make sure that you feel safe, right? And I think large corporations, they, I think it's more, I think people are more right to criticize large corporations from like, I guess not like, I guess violating their privacy instead of like, other things that honestly most people when they criticize large corporations don't really know what they're talking about and large corporations on the other hand have the influence and have the resources to make those people's opinions not really matter in the bigger picture right because in, in a way we we think of politicians like aoc rightfully so she's a progressive she's doing everything she's what i respect about her is she sticks to her guns or at least she she comes across as someone who sticks to her guns but it's like when we look at her from a i guess a macro standpoint she is the everything that a large corporation doesn't want, but also needs to have, because as a large corporation, you need someone who you can like, be like, Hey, don't be like her. Or like, Hey, if you, if you say this thing, these things to like the average American, you're going to be like AOC or you sound like AOC and the average American is going to scare, stay away and be like, okay, never mind, You do your thing. Hmm. I, I don't know. I just, something that can't cross my mind, but it's like, that's just always something that's e kind of eaten at me in a way. It's like, the more people who stand up to something, the easier it is for someone to pinpoint, like, do you really want to be like this person? And that person is either going to say yes or no. If they say yes, then that government, that corporation's going to be like, oh, well, shoot. Okay. And if they say no, they're like, mission accomplished. So it's I, had, I hadn't thought about that before. Like that specifically, the idea of um, a figurehead who serves that purpose. Yeah. Um, I do think like the main issue, I think, with American politics is that people see um, corporations and the government as things which are like natural enemies, like no. you're either a pro-corporation or you're pro-government being heroic in stopping the corporations. Well, um, all of the evidence seems to suggest that they're more often than not in cooperation with each other and not doing what you want them to do. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, our country is, regardless of Democrat or Republican, we are naturally a center-right country. So when you think of it that way, it's like, regardless of who's in office, doesn't matter if they're Democrat, doesn't matter if they're Republican, they're going to be pro-business. Mm. And yes, you will have candidates like Bernie Sanders along the way who will gain a lot of momentum. And I think from a social standpoint, what they're saying makes a lot of sense. But however, it's like socially, you also want to preserve individual liberty. So it comes to a standpoint of like preserving individual liberty while also ensuring like, hey, if you're struggling right now, we'll help you out, but we're not going to bail you out, right? And then that, that's, I think that's something that I think as a society, we're kind of seeing more and more of is more of this understanding because of the fact that our country, A, Americans are pretty stubborn. Our government's very stubborn. Our corporations are very stubborn. So there's no way we're going to leave our current economic system, hmm. right? So it's like more of understanding as an American, like, or just in general, like in this, in our global society, the more we globalize, the more we have to understand this capitalist system. Right. Or in a way, or the more we have to understand, like, okay, how do we navigate through this current system? Right. Yep. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, go, go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. 
I think like nine times out of 10, or perhaps 99 out of 100, um, the solution is almost always just to make it more capitalist. <laughs> my, my, my ideal economic system is one where there is as little interaction between corporations and the government as possible. Because, and it's not me trusting corporations, which I do not do. They're gonna no, no, no. I think they're going to predictably act in certain very evil ways at certain points. But if there's anything I trust less than a corporation, it's a corporation who is capable of wielding Uncle Sam to their interests. You know? Yeah. And, and, rightfully, and rightfully so, because it's like, at some point, we have to feel like the government's being transparent with us. And the problem is, is like, yeah, you can have people who are transparent with you, but as a whole, the entity or like our government as a whole is not transparent. So what we yep. really need is we need people who are more transparent from the standpoint of like, all right, so if we let business do this, then we do this, then people will clearly understand that there's a divide, like a, a rightfully so, there's a division between the government and business. Because right now it's so clouded, like you were mentioning, it's just very murky. When you think of government, you're like, oh, wait, they can do all of these things. And it's like, yeah, they can. But do they focus on all these things that they can do that businesses can't do? And the answer is no. And like that, that's right. Government shouldn't be viewed as, I guess, mixed with business. It should be viewed as its own separate thing. And business should be viewed as its own separate thing. So in a way, if we separate the economy and we separate social rights, I mean, if that, if that can be done, who knows, right? I mean, economic policy is still a thing and it's still needed, but it's something that I think the best fiscal policy, in my opinion, it's not like, okay, don't reduce the government's budget in a way, but it's like, maybe we reduce government spending. Yep. I mean, just it's gradual, right? It has to be very gradual because the first step is understanding, okay, you know what? The market's going to be the market. The government's going to be the government. Yeah. I think everyone deep down, I feel like everyone knows that, but they don't embrace it. And that's very frustrating to see because it's like when people debate, it's like, all right, I feel like guys, there's a lot of common ground here, but no consensus is being reached. Why is that? It's because we still don't have transparency in our government. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and um, people want the government to behave in the way that they want it to behave. Uh, they have a habit of looking at the government, seeing it as like a neutral tool that um, responds to the will of the people, which it is not. It's a very specific organization that is going to do what's in uh, the interest of the people in power to do, right? And you can see that it behaves in that way. Like, um, uh, for example, um, regulatory capture mm. uh, is is the idea that like most, maybe not most, but quite a few of the regulations that are put in place on the economy are lobbied for explicitly by businesses. Mm. Which is unintuitive to people because they see regulations as being like anti-business or somehow in conflict with business. Yep they're not simply because it's not possible to be in conflict with business as a class right mm -hmm. um you can hurt certain businesses at the expense of others right and that's what many of the regulations are like explicitly designed to do mm -hmm. and since the interest of the politicians is to get reelected, and oftentimes uh conducive towards that is answering to the lobbies of um, companies then we can predict that the government will pass stuff like that we can also predict that because it's helpful to them to pass stuff like that, that they will um, prop up the idea that it is a um, heroic or um, or uh, Robin Hoodie thing to do to uh, regulate the economy. Yeah, no, and uh, it, it just like this conversation right now that we're having flashes back to the first time I think we really got to know one another 
which was mm-hmm. like when we just started, we were just talking, vibing, we're just hanging out at a social event, and it's like, oh wow, we're just talking about economics, like you know, it's, uh, but it's it's great to just see everything come full circle, mm-hmm. and um, to kind of build off of what you were saying about the Robin Hood thing, it's like government wants to be the Robin Hood, but in reality, they just need to be all right, a little hands off here, like let's. Oh, this, is, this is a bit of a bit of a tangent, um, but the the modern perception of Robin Hood pisses me off because Robin Hood is not meant. Um, or it, Robin Hood is, as a fictional character, meant to be like uh, anti-rich, pro-poor, but that means something very contextually different when it was written. Right? It's an it's an anti-tax story. Yeah. Uh, people don't understand that. It's like, tax the rich. Yay, Robin Hood. It's like, what, you want taxes? Someone didn't read Robin Hood. Nobody, yeah, exactly. Like, at the end of the day, regardless of your social st- social class, it's like, I, I would hate to have taxes. Every, nobody really wants taxation. Like, what, what if we look at America... From the standpoint of like what we're doing and where we are our origin story i guess what united everyone regardless of where they came from was like no taxation right that representation so mm-hmm. big thing no taxation right so if we, we just go back let's just travel back to 1776 it's like all right yeah let's just get rid of taxes again easier said than done and probably something that hopefully happens during our lifetimes we shall see because it again when you get rid of taxes it needs to be for everyone Odds of that happening very slim, um, but uh, we'll see, right? Is this, that's the, that's the beauty of these theoretical discussions. Is like you you kind of get through solutions, you get through problems, and then you realize, okay, there's still more to do, but that's what we're here for, and that's what you know practicality is for. Yeah, I mean, I'd be in favor of just doing away with it altogether. Yeah, taxes, government, all of it, it just needs to go. Yeah, no, and and that's and rightfully so. Like, I think it's. It's it's like a fine line because I feel like it's like that's something that I think society gradually is working towards, mm-hmm. but it's like it's taking a bit longer than anticipated. And I feel like especially going from Bush to Obama to Trump to Biden, it is so different after each president. Like basically in four years, Trump undid what Obama did, right? And now Biden is undoing what Trump's doing. In 2024, it'll probably be Trump again. And then we'll have... Another, we'll probably have like Kamala Harris or Biden, who knows, right? But it's like our issue right now as a society is we're so cyclical, right? I hope we don't have Kamala. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. She's she's interesting, right? But it's like, I don't, I doubt, honestly, I kind of doubt that she would, I doubt that she would win. I think, honestly, from my perspective, if, if you're voting Democrat, which again, vote Democrat, but Republican doesn't matter, right? Pete Buttigieg, smart guy. He actually knows what he's doing. In my opinion, like, I don't think he's, I don't think what he's saying is, I don't agree with 100% of what he says, but I think he's very, he's just very competent. And I think Kamala is competent, but Buttigieg just knows how to actually make change happen. If you were like, I'm, I'm talking to like the Democrat voter here, I think I would push him over Kamala Harris. Mm. I, again, that's because I feel like he has a chance to do well. His issue is obviously, uh, well, this is just another tangent, but elections like the reason why joe biden was a democratic nominee is because the democratic party is run by superdelegates which we both know and the superdelegates just want to beat the republicans they don't really want the best person for the party so like if you put that into perspective alone it's like the democratic party is in essence yes you're you're literally the purpose of your party you're literally just trying to combat republicans and republicans it's like you're literally just trying to combat democrats so in a way do we need a third party absolutely I would love to see the rise of the Libertarian and the Green Party, because in reality, I think those are the two parties that honestly should be debating one another. 
It shouldn't be. It'd be more of an honest dichotomy, you know, exactly. libertarians versus communists instead of. Yeah, exactly. Instead of whatever the hell the Democrats are. Yeah, because it's like you have conservatives. And I honestly, I fundamentally believe this. The difference between the Democrats and Republicans right now is like the it's the economic. It's not even the economic values. It's the social values, right? It's just Republicans are fully conservative and Democrats are ha halfway there. So in a way, if we look at it like. A libertarian is very similar to a Democrat in concept. Again, there's that concept of like, let's like have a little, you know, let's have a smaller government, right? That's the one difference between libertarians and Democrats. And it's not a small difference. It's a fundamental difference. But if we look at like, I guess, what a Democrat essentially is based on how the Democratic Party works, it is very hand in hand with like, honestly, if we look at Joe Biden, his economic policy is very capitalist. Hmm. Like fundamentally, like he he's, he's more active than he is than Trump, right? Like Trump is more of a capitalist than Biden, but you can't sit here and say that Biden is just going to want to command economy. And that, no, that's, and that's, that's a democratic party, right? They're never going to put someone forward who is for a command economy. Yeah. No, so I would, I would agree. Hmm? Um, when it comes to the like uh, tension between Democrats and uh, libertarians in particular, um, well, like, especially on social issues, right? Um, Democrats and libertarians will find themselves kind of allied on the issues themselves, but it's always like an uneasy alliance because the reasons um, they might support it or the place that they're coming from is vastly different, right? To give an example, um, uh, since 1971, since its existence, the Libertarian Party has been explicitly in favor of legalizing gay marriage. Yeah. Right? Um, Democrats also hopped on that train eventually, and so uh, that was like an issue you could point to where, okay, well, the libertarians are on the Democrat side now, but the way we're, the way it's viewed in each camp is vastly different. Like for the Democrats, it's about equality. It's about, oh, these people should also be able to have um, yeah, the, the ability to marry. Whereas with libertarians, it's about um, the removal of government from marriage, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the idea that uh, should gays be able to get married? Yes, of course gays should be able to get married. Anyone should be able to get married to whatever or whoever they want. You want to get married to like the Empire State Building as one woman did one time. Uh, yeah. You should be able to do so. Um, I am very much against like government regulating marriage in any capacity. Right? Yeah. Well, it's different from Democrats. But bottom line, right? Let people be people. Yeah. <laughs> if, we, if we come to that conclusion, I think we just did right now, like that's what we hope America can, and just the world in general, like let's let people be people, right? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Weed would be another example, right? You don't often hear libertarians talking about like being able to tax weed as like a huge benefit. Oh, no. You know? That's a Democrat thing. Yep. Yep, no, exactly. Uh, but, you know, I just want to, I think, I think we're kind of wrapping up here, but you know, thank you, Joseph, for your time. And I hope, you know, everyone here enjoyed this discussion that we had. We covered a lot of ground here. I think it was a mix of being theoretical and practical, which is always ideal when you're talking about economics and politics. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate your time, Joseph. And thank you so much for sharing your perspectives and more importantly, just for being here and talking. Always a pleasure. All right. All right. Thank you. Man. All right. Thanks.